This presentation was from Yorks Australia 2017, held in Sydney. For more presentations from this and other conferences, please visit yorksaustralia.com.au. <clears throat> so my buddy Adam Polanski, who's speaking this afternoon, we um, often help people with presentations, and he says, the first thing you should do is take three dig, big, big deep breaths. So I'm going to just do that and take, watch me go... One will do me. That's okay. Um, if you came in here to see Kat Hardesty speak about personas, I'm really sorry, but Kat had um, a family emergency that's almost going to make me cry and can't make it. If you'd like to actually like see her talk on personas, please do this. Um, it's, it'll like appear on Google right up the top. Um, she did it at UX New Zealand as a 40-minute talk, and it's a really great talk. Um, I'm going to sub in and tell you all about lumping, splitting, us and them, and how not to be evil. Uh, sorry, and also, if you were at IXDA a few weeks ago and saw me do a talk, you really don't need to be here. You should run next door. So let's do a quick activity. Just yell this out. Um, yell out the names of games. Monopoly. Monopoly. Scrabble. Pictionary. Jenga. Clash of the Clans. Mousetrap. Yeah, you have to have really big voices. I'm deaf. Tennis. Operation. That's a great big voice. Mind games. I asked folks on Twitter um, yesterday to do this for me so we'd have a, a pre-one done. Monopoly, chess, Settlers of Catan, Minecraft, Diablo 3, Diablo 1, Diablo 2. They're in there somewhere. Did you notice I made it into Pac-Man? Keep that in mind as I go through today. Just so that quick, like, thought about games and what they are. I'm going to go really deep into category theory. This is so fun. I can't believe I'm doing it to you. Um, and then I'm going to teach, tell you a bit about how we can be less evil by using the difference between <laughs> classical category theory and actual category theory. Go me. Okay, so in Western thought... We have ideas about how categories, which are concepts and ideas, about how they actually work in our brain. Um, this comes from a lot of the early philosophers like Aristotle, who couldn't really measure um, how we think, but they had grand theories of it and built it into our thought, our language, our society and, and, and all of our constructs. And the way that classical category theory works um, is it's all about defining things. It's about saying this category, this category that we call a bird, a bird has feathers, a beak and the ability to fly. So we define things. This will make a little more sense when I contrast it with real category theory too. Um, things in categories are based on what's called shared properties. So... Uh, in the categories of birds, all birds must have feathers, a beak, and the ability to fly. Now, I know that's actually not the definition of the of a actual bird, but it's still how we how we think about it. And categories are 
boundaried ideas. So you have a category, things either belong inside the category or they're outside in another category. Now, this stuff lives in our brain, our language and our thought, as I mentioned before. It's super important um, to understand that we think we think like this. How we actually think is um, modern category theory, folk category theory. There's a bunch of um, were, uh, descriptions of it. There's a bunch of you know new theories around it, of course. Um, something that's really important about it is that categories... So in, in classical category theory, the categories are kind of out there. You could define them. They existed in the world. Modern category theory tells us that categories are embodied, which means we live in a physical being, a physical body, and a lot of how our categories work relate to that. I'll come back to that with a couple of examples um, as I talk, which will explain a little more about it. But it means that the categories aren't out there. They're actually in here. Somebody should design clickers that don't have the escape button right under the click right button. That would work, wouldn't it? This happens all the time. I always hit that button. Hang on, let me go back. All right. There's no right and wrong way to categorise. Again, classical category theory would tell us that you can define the edges, define the boxes, and that there's a kind of right way to do things. Um, really, there actually isn't, and you'll know this from trying to do things on projects. There's no right and wrong. There's actually no science around most of the categories we use day to day. Um, most things actually don't exist in buckets and boundaries. They exist in a continuum. Um, even things like um, age, like age is a continuum. We are born and then we get incrementally older until we die. We don't actually turn 15. We don't turn 45. We aren't 45 to 55. We are however many seconds in our life continuum actually is. We do these things for con convenience, but category absolute, oh, sorry, age absolutely is a continuum, not um, a category. The boundaries of categories are fuzzy. They're not clear. They're not easy to define and draw. Um, they absolutely change over time. I've been doing that games activity for, I don't know, something like <laughs> very close to 15 years. Um, and every single time I do it, new things creep in, of course, like new actual games, but new styles of games. Even somebody yesterday wrote Game of Thrones, and I'm like, that was fun. But new styles of computer games, new styles of social games, they do not um, stay still, where, again, classical category theory would have told us that, that stuff is fairly fixed. Um, the members of a category, the things inside it, may not actually be alike. And this is why I like the game category really um, as, a, as a perfect example of this. If we had to go back and look at all those games and then find out what is the thing that ties them all together, there's no way we could actually do it. Some are single player, some are multiplayer, some are competitive, some are for fun, some are in teams, some are using devices, some use imagination only. There's nothing that actually holds together all, the, all those things in the idea of a game, but the idea of a game is still strong. It, like, it still exists. Um, there's just nothing that, you know, pulls it all together. And that's because they fit in our brains, not out there in the world.
So categories um, are actually much easier to describe than they are to define. Like I could give, I could throw those games on the um, screen without telling you what that idea was, and you would be able to look at those and go, oh, yeah, that's a bunch of games. So when you're using categories and ideas, um, it's, you could use examples to communicate them. Don't try to define how people should use them if you're using them um, for a, a work project. And then there's an idea of um, prototypical items. So again, uh, classical category theory said the things in those buckets were all equal. I might not have had that on the slide. Anyway, cl classical category theory says everything in a bucket is equal to everything else. And that, again, that one's not true. There are some games that are gamier than others, like Monopoly and chess and Scrabble always come up more. They're better prototypical examples of games. Um, in the scientific research that a lot of this came out of, um, they did it on birds. And prototypical birds are like robins and eagles. Not prototypical birds are chickens and penguins. But like, they're birds, but you go, oh yeah, oh yeah, a penguin is a bird. It doesn't fly, but it's still a bird. So there's things that fit better. There's also a place in a hierarchy where, again, and this is where really the embodiment comes back in, um, where, we th where we actually think. So looking at these kind of examples, the example of animal dog Dalmatian, the place where our brains work is around the idea of the dog in the middle of that hierarchy. We don't necessarily think about animals. Um, and unless you're a specialist in a field, unless you're a dog breeder, you won't necessarily think Dalmatian. So mostly when we see a thing out there with four legs and a tail that's wagging and looking up at you all happy, you're going to think, dog. And how that relates to embodiment is that you can pat a dog, you can throw a ball, you can sit in a chair. This is where our um, brains and our bodies work together and, and where they actually think. Same with furniture. You don't think of furniture... You can't visualise, I mean, you might be able to finish visualise a furniture store, but you don't get a picture for furniture. You do get a picture for table, even though there's all kinds, but you still like, can put it, oh, look, table. And again, embodiment, tables you can sit on, lay on, put food on. Um, they relate to our, uh, our movement. Um, the other thing that happens here is um, the labels are used consistently and a lot, and they're actually the first thing that children learn. Children don't, again, learn animal. They learn dog, ball, chair, table. So that's where, you can tell that's where we think. It's, a, it's important to know for work kind of things because if you're working with specialists, they are thinking somewhere else. Um, and uh, you're, you know, thinking in the kind of more standard spot. And you might be trying to bridge that gap to get, um, it depends on what kind of projects you're doing, but you might be trying to, um, help people get down to that more detail or find things and the specialists and our users might be thinking at different spots. So what does all this mean when we put it together and how can you be evil? Please don't be evil. And then how can you be less evil? So I did an evil thing yesterday. I, I actually tried not to make it super evil. Sorry, Mel. <laughs> I um, grabbed um, a handful of folks with purple lanyards on 
and a handful of folks with green lanyards on and I made them kind of stand around me while I grabbed some spares. And I was, I could have done this so evil and I really didn't because I'm, I'm nice. Um, I was bantering with them just a little about the, you know, the purple the purple lanyards and the green lanyards and how the purple lanyards were better because they were easier to find and who would wear one of those green lanyards after all. And you felt that little bit of group divide, didn't you? Yeah. Um, and there's, there, I mean, there's studies that actually do this to a full extent. Putting together people by some completely arbitrary characteristic um, and, you know, and putting them against others. Like, they did this with... They did the studies with five-year-olds... I know, it's kind of insane. It's kind of inhumane. But what happens is, um, even when you make a category, even if it's on something that is completely unreal, um, the boundaries of it, like you've made a category and the boundaries of it get stronger. So we now have a category called people with purple lanyards at the conference. um, And that becomes a thing. When the boundaries get stronger, people feel closer. It feels like these things are more similar. Even though really they've just got purple lanyards. So these things are more similar to each other. And then they're more different to each other. So we've made this entirely artificial thing happen by categorising. Then as designers and technology people... We take these categories, we start to believe that they're real. We believe that male and female is real. Um, We start to make it real, we put it into our systems and where the evil is going to start to come is when we start letting those systems make decisions for people, whether it's um, access to services or policies, whether it's how they access information, by making those boundaries stronger and letting the computers make decisions for people, we're making decisions on entirely arbitrary things. And that's kind of terrifying. So other things that can happen is um, sometimes categories we use just don't represent what we're actually asking. So this one is from um, one of the Centrelink forms. Do you have a partner? That's actually not what they're asking. They're not asking about partnership. They're really deep deep down asking, is there somebody in your life who is providing financial support for you so that we can figure out if we cannot give you financial support? That's not necessarily a partner. A partner, you could be, you could have a partner who you've kept all your finances separate and they're not supporting you. You could have a partner who gives you no support. You could have somebody who gives you financial support but isn't actually your partner. They've made a category of people with partners, embedded it into probably legislation, um, and as a result exclude people from services based on their answer or include them. Go get a partner and, like, get benefits. Why don't you folks, like, trickle up as I talk... um, Otherwise, you're kind of hovering up there. This is, again, from the same um, kind of Centrelink form. What type of accommodation do you live in? So making categories around types of accommodation when actually what they're asking is, do you pay rent to somebody else so that we can figure out if you're eligible for rent assistance? So, again, they're making a category, asking a question, which isn't actually the question that they mean to ask. 
Sometimes categories that we use just aren't necessary. There are so many fucking forms that ask my marital status, and every single time I look at that and I'm like, I don't know what they're asking. So I'm divorced. How is that different to being single? Like, how? That happened years ago. And every single time it stops me and I'm like, well, one, what's the consequence of doing that? Are they going to treat me in a different way because I happen to get divorced? Like a not stick to it, huh? Or they're going to treat me. <laughs> they're going to, or they're going to treat me a different way because I'm single and I totally can't find a man, or a woman, or somebody in that in that continuum of gender. Who knows what's going to happen? And with gender, why do people need to ask this? We were talking. I'm at working at the ABC. I didn't even introduce myself earlier. Um, sorry, working at the ABC as well as doing all of this. And we were talking the other day about recommendations. Um, and whether we would actually need to know anybody's gender. And we're like, no, not really. Why would we need to say that? We should be trying to make recommendations um, based on what people do, not what gender they uh, identify with. How can that even be relevant? So we sh- there's lots of times when we just shouldn't be using these. Um, I did actually find an example where I thought this is a good one of asking the actual question that you want to know, not asking a category question. This is about um, aged care. So social interaction, you participate in community activities, for example, sport and hobbies, you make and keep friends and cope with feelings and emotions and how well. Like that's actually saying, what do I need to know without saying, um, I don't know... (laughs) Are you social or antisocial? Um, sometimes the categories we use are used for evil, like giving people different prices. I've been trying to find... I have never had time until yesterday to really dig into why Dell um, have different categories for work and for home on their website. I've been using it as an anti-example for a long time. I had some time yesterday while I was writing the talk. Look at this. Exact same product for work is like $400 cheaper. And this is just through their website. They don't even know who you are. They're directing you via navigation to a category, via a category. Folks who are buying a computer just for themselves are up for another $600. So there are other evil things that I've been seeing using categories. Um, targeted advertising. So we can target advertising based on our behaviours and really identifying that, you know, you've looked at this and you've looked at that and you've looked at that and, you know, targeting our advertising around what we do. Or we can target advertising by lumping people into a category. So AKA why I don't tell Facebook I'm single because that's a category, and I don't need Facebook to know that I'm single so that it can give me dating ads. Um, we could do better than that. Um, insurance premiums, this has been actually happening for a really long time. Um, insurance premiums aren't based on your behaviour or your history. They're based on where, for example, your car is going to be garaged. If it's in a risky suburb and you're young and you're male all categories, you are going to pay an insanely high premium, even if 
you're actually a super good driver. They're just going to lump you in with other people. And yes, they have models, but those models are based around making categories and running data to see what other people tend to do. Um, first degree price discrimination is where um, uh, retailers can target again you as a group. So um, there's some stuff around about uh, retailers targeting people who are using a Mac and based on behaviours of other people using a Mac, know that you are more willing to pay a higher price, so they're going to give you a higher price. It's not based on your ability to pay anything that people actually know about you. Um, it's about popping you in a category. Uber has been doing um, route-based pricing. So if you ask for an Uber to the um, I don't know, northern beaches... Um, they are going to charge you more than if you ask for an Uber to Fairfield. Not because of distance, but just on an assumption that because you are travelling to a wealthier suburb, we can charge you more. This is, this is, this is evil. This is like... This is evil. <laughs> Uber are evil. Um, Pre-employment psychometric tests are the ultimate. Put you in a category and, 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 and say that you are going to be in a particular way because other people behave in a particular way. If I was asked to do one of these for an employer, I would actually just say, no way am I working for you. I would not put myself through that. It's, I think it's just wrong to not treat me like me, but to treat me like some aggregate. It's like saying, what's your star sign? Hey, Donna, you're at Aries. You can't have a job here. They're unreliable. Um, <laughs> flake out and can't stop talking. And I don't know if you've heard about the US recidivism model. I won't go into it um, in, in detail, but look this up if you're interested in this kind of stuff. Um, it's basically about um, determining whether somebody is um, likely to recommit a crime based on looking at, again, their categories, where they live, what colour skin they have, primarily those two things not actually looking about how they, what did they do initially, how did they behave in prison, who are they and what are they going to do. That, oh, look, <laughs> black man lives in that suburb, he's totally going to recommit. That's insane and horrible. So how can you be not evil? Um, one of the great things about where we are with big data is that we have a bigger ability to work with behaviour instead of with categories. So that's actually should be increasing our ability to be to not just lump people together and treat them like everybody else. I don't think it's necessarily going to happen, and so that's where we come in to push back. Um, don't lump people together into bundles and assume that everybody in that bundle has the same behaviours, preferences or actions. Remember that we all live on a continuum and use the continuum not just ugly big buckets. Um, create services, forms, recommendations, whatever you're working on. Do it on people's actual behaviours, not their categories that you've made for them. So we can, we can, we can recommend TV shows based on what people do, not based on the fact that they're female with a particular income living in a particular area in Australia. We can see what people do and, like, and, and what they may or may not like. Um, 
always, and this is the job that you really can push back on, always say, why are we collecting marital status? What are we going to do with that? Why are we collecting gender or sex? Are we collecting the right thing? Do we need to know about people's parts that they were born with or do we need to know who, what they associate with? Why is that not a continuum? Does it need, like, how does it actually factor into what we're doing? Push back on every category that you're asked to use um, and, you know, really think about what's going on there um, instead of just letting it roll. Because we could, we can, we can, we can stop evil, make it better just by being mindful about these three things and pushing back on them. That's it. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this presentation from Yorks Australia 2017. For more presentations from this and other conferences, please visit yorksaustralia.com.au.